the key word that you're going to hear tonight is found in verse 11 of Isaiah 55. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth, it shall not return to me void. Now, depending on your translation, if you've got New King James or King James, it's void. New Living Translation has a really interesting twist on it. It says it always produces fruit. NIV says it's empty. Now, it's all carrying the same meaning. Getting into God's word is going to bless you. Now, the context of Isaiah 55 is that God is speaking to the Israelites saying, you're going to have a blessing, you're going to have a millennial reign, you're going to have all these wonderful future blessings. And Israel is sitting there saying, yeah, right. Sure, we're in captivity. We're being beat. We're being tortured. We're taken over by the Assyrians and taken over by the Babylonians. Yeah, we're going to have this great kingdom. God says, wait a second, my word does not return void. Now, that's the context for them. Same context still happens today. The same promises that God gave them 4,000 years ago, promises still apply in the sense of God says, my word does not return void. Now, Isaiah 55 is only 13 verses, but it's jam-packed. Note the logic here. Verses 1 through 3 Isaiah, through the Spirit, is saying, the world is void. Look at verses 1 through 3. The world is void. Oh, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. You who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for that does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. And let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear and your soul shall live. And I will make you an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. What he's saying here is, why are you wasting your time, energy, and money on things that are pointless and empty? And you know what? You work with people that do that. You know people that their life is full of things. And their life is meaningless, empty, and pointless and void. And you know what? You may have even got caught up into that a little bit. Not so much the materialism, but just trying to fulfill I heard a great teaching one time where the pastor says, the world is constantly trying to fill an infinite hole with a finite world. There's a hole that can only be filled by God in our lives. But yet there's all these finite things that we try to fill it with, don't we? It's not going to make it happy. I knew a girl I went to school with, and I've shared this story with you before, where she just was not a happy gal. And I remember her saying, once I get married, there would be joy. She got married. There wasn't joy. But once we get a house and we're not renting, she got a house. And then it was once we have a kid. Okay, well, I've had a boy. Well, once we have the classic boy and girl, had a girl. Still not happy. Constantly trying to fill with something. And you know what? If you want to further study, go to the book of Ecclesiastes. Talk about a guy who had everything. Solomon had everything. And what did he sum up life as? Vanity. It's all vanity. See, the point that God is trying to make here is verses 1 through 3. The world will never satisfy you. Verse 2. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Well, you could drive through a lot of different parking lots. You could drive through a lot of people's houses. You could go into somebody's houses and say, was that purchase satisfying to you? Was that purchase satisfying to you? I was at a guy's house recently, and I'm not kidding. His TV was so big. It was so big. And I, I love TVs and my boys have inherited this genetic trait. We will go to Walmart and we will all stand in front of the 25 TVs and just stare and watch them. This TV, though, and I'm not exaggerating, was so big it actually hurt to sit there and watch it. This guy had a small house. I am not kidding. The TV was bigger than the couch and you sat there and it's just overwhelming. Overwhelming. But you know, isn't that a typical guy thing? We always like a TV that's a little bigger, a car that's a little faster. 
chainsaw a little more horsepower. You know, we always want something more that's not satisfied. God says, why? Why do you do that? What's the answer? Look at the answer here. Verse 1. Everyone who thirsts, you're thirsting for something more in life, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come by and eat. Now, how are you supposed to buy something if you have no money? See, that's a beautiful picture of salvation. It's free. See, that's the whole point of that garage sale giveaway. It's free. It's free. There's no strings attached. See, God is saying, come by, thirsting. Come by, and I will take care of you. Okay, I have nothing to pay, Lord. He goes, I know. It's already taken care of. That's why Jesus said it is finished. Isn't that a beautiful picture? The world is vanity and emptiness that cannot satisfy you, and I have nothing to offer God, no money to buy anything, and God says, ah, salvation's free. Just take it. See, that's the point that God is trying to make. And so, since the world is void, verses 6 and 7, go to God. Verse 6, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and we have mercy on him. And to our God, he will abundantly pardon. See, the world is void. So, verse 6, seek him. Okay, how many times have you heard me say about seek? Seek denotes effort. You have to want a relationship with Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit will knock on your heart, but you have to want to go deeper. And as we get into the subject of God's word tonight, you have to want to study. You have to want to read. You have to want to desire to spend time with the creator. You have to seek him. And look, seek him while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. We don't talk about that point enough. There comes a time and a place where God will not be found and come a time and a place where God will not be near. Now, that doesn't mean he doesn't love you, but it means that you've reached a point where your heart has become so hard that you've given up on God. I no longer care. God says, well, if you don't care, and God in his infinite wisdom and knowledge says, you're not going to spend time with me, you're not going to accept me, I'm moving on. Now, when does that point happen for people? Each individual is different, I don't know. But you know what? I firmly believe I've run into people where they have so given up on God and so turned their heart off to him that he's no longer near. Now, before you think that sounds rough, like, okay, well, that's not fair. When they want to now have a relationship with the Lord, he's not around. No, God knows that they're never going to really want to have that relationship with the Lord. Now, we all want to sit here and sing kumbaya and think everybody's going to get saved, but the truth of the matter is they're not. There's a world dying out there and going to hell because they choose not to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. They're not seeking him while he may be found. They're not calling upon him while he is near. I don't know about you. I go through these spiritual phases where I'm going to go deeper with the Lord next week. But let me get through these next few days. It is really busy, and I will start getting up early Saturday morning to spend time with you, Lord. Or you know what? I really hear the cry for service. I really hear that new Bible study they're starting up. Or I really see that new prayer group. And I will do that, Lord, with this season of life right now. It is really, really busy. And when I get through this, Lord, I will. Now, some of it's legit. Some of us really do have busy seasons of life. But there's also a lot of us that are really good at making excuses. And we have a desire to go deeper, but we have no effort to do it. No effort in any way whatsoever. You have to want it, then you have to follow through on it. And that's what it's saying here. Seek and call. Well, you look at verse 7, and some of you may be thinking, how am I supposed to seek and call upon the Lord? Look at me. Look at my wickedness. You know, I'm unrighteous. I am wicked. I am so backslidden, it's not even funny. I'm so far away from where I'm supposed to be spiritually. Yeah, I sure look good. I'm sitting here on a Wednesday night. But seriously, my relationship with the Lord is not where it's supposed to be. My marriage isn't where it's supposed to be. My life, my devotional life, you fill in the blank. So I'm supposed to seek and call 
It's too late. Look at this, though. Let him return to the Lord. He will have mercy on him, and to our God, he will abundantly pardon. Boy, I love that verse. You call on him, you return to him, and he pardons us. Isn't that beautiful? You've heard it say out here before, the only time in the Bible where you see God in a hurry is the story of the prodigal son when the father runs his back to the boy that's coming back from his backslidden ways. It's the only time you ever see God in a hurry is he is so excited to have a relationship with his child again. He is so excited to take the backslidden Christian and say, I want to redeem you. I want to pardon you. That's the only time you see God in a hurry. I'm telling you right now is if you go to the Lord and say, okay, Lord, I have gone backwards instead of forwards. I am sorry. Before those words can even come out of your mouth, God says, that's exactly what I wanted to hear. Let's have a relationship again. Now, before you say that's too easy, look at verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God says, I said it. I can do it. That's the way it is. And we sit here and say, oh, it's not that easy. This, look at these terms. I wrote down some terms here that we throw out a lot in Christianity. Forgiveness, grace, mercy, and love. Now, we throw those terms out a lot, right? But do we really stop and think? Those terms don't make any sense. I think I'm an easygoing guy. I don't think I hold grudges. I think I'm pretty good at love, grace, mercy, forgiveness. But every now and then I'll run into some situations like, I'm still not over that yet. But God can completely forgive. You know, I love Dawn. I don't, there's nobody in this world I love more than Dawn. Yet her and I can still get into fights. I understand grace. But yet still the other night I was laying there in bed thinking, Lord, how can you love me? How can you forgive me? I understand mercy. But I still think people should go to hell, even if they've asked Jesus sometimes to forgive them, because I don't like them. You know, I understand forgiveness, grace, mercy, and love, but sometimes it doesn't make sense to me. And I sit here and I try to figure out these terms. God says in verses 8 and 9, you're not going to fully understand. I'm telling you, we will never fully understand the complete forgiveness that Jesus gives us until we're up in heaven. We'll never understand it. We will never understand grace and mercy until we stand before Christ and we realize, I am sin. And you love me. We will not understand love until we're up in heaven and we see the nail-scarred hands of Christ. See, we don't fully get these things. And God says in verses 8 and 9, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. You're not going to get it. But I'm asking you to take a part of it. And I will go one step further with this. <clears throat> I've shared with you before a few years ago when Dawn and I were having a hard time uh, trying to have kids. And things just were not working out. We had a lot of miscarriages, a lot of health problems. Uh, Isaiah 55, 8, 9 are the verses that Dawn cling to. And we had this huge Bible that we got as a wedding gift. And she would always open it up and leave it to Isaiah 55, 8, 9. And these verses are the verses that got us through that tough time of saying, Okay, Lord, I don't get it. I don't like it. I don't want it. I don't see it. But you say I need to trust you. And so I'll trust you. Right now, you may be in a situation where you're saying, Lord, I don't get it. I don't like it. I don't want it. And God says, my ways are not your ways. You have to trust me. That's a tough place to be in. That's a real tough place to be in. Now, the interesting point about this, though, is he gives us an example of saying, hey, you don't get it, but it works. Verse 10, for as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. 
So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth that shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please and shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Now, you guys can all sit here and explain in certain terms how a seed works and how water works. But we fully don't get it. Well, you know, and then the seed, you put it in the ground, and the ground, you know, there's the water and the nitrogen, and it comes up and stuff. Okay, yeah, but do you really get how that little seed knows what the little seed is supposed to do? I love weather, and I understand weather to an extent, but yet you still sometimes look at these cold fronts, warm fronts, and you see rain that comes down and snow that comes down, and you're like, we don't really get it. God says, but you know what? These things work, and you trust it. He says, why can't you in verse 11 trust that those same concepts that work? You put a seed in, and it grows. Clouds have rain, and it falls. Clouds have snow, and it falls. You understand those concepts. You trust those concepts. You know those concepts. So why not, verse 11, that my word will not return void? See, here's the problem. All of us probably can handle up to verse 10 pretty good. Some of you may have stumbled a little bit on verse 2. Okay, yeah, the world can't satisfy me, but it's sure a lot of fun. You'll realize it can't satisfy you. You may have stumbled a little bit on verses 6 and 7. Okay, I've got to put some effort into my walk with the Lord. And you know what? Okay, God can forgive me, grace and mercy. And you may even get verses 8 and 9. Okay, Lord, I trust you that you're bigger than me. You get verse 10. But as soon as you get to verse 11, it goes out the window. Do you truly believe that God's word does not return void? Now, the reason I ask this, because if you truly believe that God's word will not return void, why, we, why aren't we as Christians spending more time in God's word? If it doesn't return void, and God promises us that the time we spend in his word, the time that we spend studying what he wants us to say, it's not going to return void, vain, empty, useless. Why are we doing it more? And that's a rhetorical question, because I can't answer that. I can spend a couple hours watching this show. I can spend a few hours listening to a ball game on the computer. I can go out and chase my boys around with squirt guns for a while. That's all fun. But yet, the one thing in this world that will never return void is the time I take to crack open God's Word and spend time with Him. Everything else is void. Everything. Now, that's just absolutely mind-blowing to me, that we know this as believers, but yet we don't do it. And look at the fruit that comes out of it. Verse 12. For you shall go out with joy, be led out with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. What are the side effects of being in God's word? Joy, peace, singing, and clapping. That's a pretty good deal. And I tell you this right now. I know my own personal life. When I stop and I spend time in the word, there is a joy and peace that comes out of it. There is praise that comes out of it. It is never returned void. Now, there may be days where I have read it and said, Lord, I got nothing out of this. And a few days later, I'm talking to somebody and a verse comes to my mind. It's like, that's the verse I got nothing out of. And the Lord says, I want you to use that verse now. See, the thing is, <coughs> the Bible says God's word is like a sword. It's a weapon. And so what happens is, as you go through these 66 books of the Bible and these thousands of verses, they're all like little weapons that are, you are now armed with. So when you go into a confrontation with somebody or go to share the Lord with somebody, the Holy Spirit, just through your memory and through the Spirit, will say, okay, pull out that weapon now. That's the verse to use. That's the dagger to throw at them to make your point. See, the problem is, I try to make my points with my words. But, you know, verse 11 says God's word doesn't return void. It doesn't say anything about James's words not returning void. That's the thing is, 
when I'm either talking to somebody or sending them a letter or doing something, I will try to make sure I always throw at least a scripture in there. Not legalistically, but God's word doesn't return void. They may forget every single thing I said in that letter, and I may have made some good points. But when they read that scripture, and if they read that scripture with an open heart, something happens supernaturally, just like that seed, that scripture is planted in their heart, and that scripture will do something. It's a beautiful thing. So make sure, just think about this. Am I, number one, making time to be in the Word? And I also, number two, am I sharing the Word with other people? Because if God's Word doesn't return void, I'm going to be blessed by being in it, and I'm going to bless people by giving it to them. It's a great package deal. Great package deal. Now, before we get into the final things here, because I've got some scriptures I want to finish with and some points. Has anybody got any quick questions, comments here about anything we've covered thus far, about God's Word or any other stuff? Okay. Well, I was going through some stuff. And, you know, we did a study a while ago, and some of these points still apply today. And the question comes up of why don't we get into the Word as much as we could? So I wrote down some things that this is what I've run into personally. And number two, maybe this is what you believe too. First question I ask myself is, do we believe that this is the literal Word of God? See, the thing is, if you don't believe this is the literal Word of God, you would not want to get into it. Why would you want to get into it? If you think it's just like any other religious book, what's the point of spending time in it? See, if you believe that this is how God chose to communicate to us, then you can't wait to get into it. So you have to ask yourself, do I believe that this is the literal word of God, that this is how the Holy Spirit decides to speak to us? If you believe that, you want to get into it. Now, the question, next question is, do you really believe that it helps? Here's the thing. I was counseling a guy one time, and I started quoting him scriptures about some stuff. And I remember him distinctly. We're standing right out there in that parking lot. And he was struggling with uh, areas of the flesh, areas of lust. And I said, you know what it says? Psalm 119 says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to his word. And then it goes on to say, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against God. So I said, you know what? One of the greatest weapons you have in this battle of lust is learning those scriptures that deal with those areas, quoting those scriptures, believing those scriptures, understanding God's word. And I remember him distinctly saying, yeah, right. And I realized right then, he doesn't believe that it can help. If he doesn't believe it can help, what am I going to do? I can't do anything about that. I can sit here and tell him, oh, you know, don't do this, do this. That's all void. That's all empty. If he doesn't believe that God's word is going to help, what's the point of it? I remember another time meeting with a gal. She was going through this tough time. And so we sat down, and at the end, I gave her all these scriptures. And I don't know how many times you've talked to me. Sometimes I end the conversations with, hey, go grab your Bible tonight. Read Psalm 40. And so I gave her all these scriptures. We met again the next week. I said, did you get a chance to read those scriptures? No, didn't get a chance to read them. Okay, if they're not willing to put the effort into it, and if they're not willing to realize that that God's word is going to help, what else do we have to offer them? So we have to stop and say, do we believe it's the literal word of God? And do we believe that it really helps? Because if you believe it's the literal word of God and you believe that it literally will help you when you have a problem, the first thing you're going to do is try to find a scripture that helps that problem. Because you're going to realize this is 66 books of medicine that can heal you. And I mean that heal you spiritually and emotionally can help you in those areas. The Bible says it's like a healing oil that goes over you. When you come home with that hard day at work, that problem, and you're struggling spiritually, you're struggling emotionally, you read God's Word, and it's like this oil that goes over, and you're saying, yeah, that's exactly what I needed. But you have to believe it helps. See, now, for me, I come home from a hard day. What's the first thing I need to do? I need to let my mind rest. 
Find out what's going to be on TV, right? Because that's really going to help. Have two hours of meaningless nothing. That's really going to help. Or, you know what, I've been in the type of person of, you know what, it's been a rough day. Let's go do something. Yeah, that's really going to help too. Total change of scenery, change of pace. You know what's really going to help is if I say, Lord, I am worked up about these issues. I'm angry at these issues. I'm frustrated, Lord. I'm hurt at these issues. Lord, what does your word say to do? Oh, your word says to love them, forgive them. Your word says to trust you. Your word says that you'll get me through it. That's what I need to hear because that doesn't return void. So why don't we do it? I wrote down three reasons why we don't do it. First one is boring. Now, come on. Haven't you ever thought that God's word is boring? I remember the first one, the time I got saved, start in Genesis. You've heard me say numerous times, never start in Genesis. Because once you hit the genealogies in Genesis, you're going to give up. Well, I got through the genealogies in Genesis, kept on going, got through First and Second Kings, First and Second Samuel, got to Chronicles. And I remember going to Jim at the time saying, do I have to read Chronicles? Because Chronicles is the same as Kings and Samuel. See, the thing was, I looked at it as boring. I had to do it. That's what I had to do. And if you have this mindset that God's word is boring, you know what? You've already predetermined that it's going to be boring. I tell you, I find God's word fascinating. I have four little boys, you know, and if you want to find a great book to read to them, what is better than the Bible? People are dying left and right. People are getting hacked to pieces. This is like one big soap opera. Everybody's cheating on each other. All this other type of stuff is happening. The Bible is the least boring book in the world. I found a great quote by John Corson I want to share with you. John Corson says, I wonder if in our morning devotions and study times, we're not speaking volumes through our casual, lethargic approach. Ho-hum, Lord, our actions say, I don't expect you to say anything to me today. You never do. So let's see, where should I read today? No wonder the Lord doesn't speak to us. No wonder the word isn't real to us. How many times do we go into that devotional? How many times do we go into that study at church and say, okay, whatever, let's just get through this. If you go in with that type of attitude, there really isn't a whole lot that's going to come out of it. So we have to realize God's word is exciting. It is. And Luke 24 talks about their heart burned within them when they heard the scriptures. See, I believe worship is vital. I believe fellowship is vital. But so often I run into Christians that tell me the worship is what gets them going. God's word is what burns inside of you. That's the purpose of God's word. That's supposed to burn within us to say, I want more. So the second one, I don't understand it. I run into this one a lot, too. Okay, I read it like you said, James, and I don't get it. Okay, a few things I would say with that is, number one, make sure that you have a good translation that you understand. You know, I think I'm a halfway intelligent guy. I don't speak King James. My wife does do good with King James. She understands it. She likes it. That's what she uses. I don't have a hard... King James is hard for me. So you've got to find a translation, and this is a second note, and we can talk about this privately one-on-one. Find a good translation. There's good ones and bad ones out there. Second one is the Holy Spirit. There's a great passage in Psalm 119 that says... Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. Pray before you get into it. Lord, speak to me. Show me. What are you going to show me today? And you know what? If you don't know the answers, write them down. Call me. Email me. Text me. I, my favorite phone call, I was just telling Don the other day, my favorite phone call I get is when somebody says, hey, I was reading the Bible the other day and I came across this passage. What do you think? Those are my favorite phone calls. Because that shows that somebody is interested. In it. 
And I love that type of stuff. I love it when someone says, I don't get this because there shows an effort there. I can remember once again when I was teaching that Bible study on Friday nights, nearly every Friday, like clockwork, I'd call Jim up and say, hey, going through 1 John, uh, what do you think of 1 John 3? Because I didn't get it. And he took the time and was patient to understand it. Okay, third problem that we run into, it's hard to find time. That's really just an excuse, isn't it? It's hard to find time. Psalm 1 says that we'll be blessed. We will be blessed when we make time to do it. I find it so interesting that generally speaking, now I've had some days where you're, you're so busy you can't eat lunch or something like that. You're running so late in the morning you can't grab breakfast. But you know what? Your body will not let you go that long without grabbing something to eat. But here's the thing is spiritually, you can go a real long time without God's word. And sure seem like you're okay. But yet what you don't realize is your body spiritually is just dying. Now you think you're okay. You think you're pretty good. But the truth of the matter is you're not. So what do we do for that? <clears throat> well, I just want to encourage you. Um, got a couple things there. First one is we do have our daily breads back there on the back table. I think our daily breads are great. It's a great little devotion. It's got a nice little scripture in there, a nice little prayer at the bottom. I consider this the granola bar of devotionals. You can grab it. It's better than nothing. But I also encourage you where it says right here, you know, for deeper reading gives you more. It says reading through the Bible in one year, it gives you more. I think this is a great little granola bar. But yet, find the time to do more and you'll really be blessed by it. Maybe this isn't up your alley. Another thing that we have out here at church is we do have the New Believers Bibles, and don't be put off by, oh, I'm not a New Believer. I love the New Believer Bible. I love this. It's got great stuff at the front, and it's got different topics in here. Like right now, this one is studying the Bible, resisting temptation, praying. Then it's got like six little things. You can go to those pages. It's got a little devotional on it. It's got a scripture you can read. It's a great blessing to get into it. And I tell you, if you've got some extra time and some extra money, you go to a Christian bookstore, and you'll be inundated with devotionals. They're all over the place. But you know what I find? I find myself reading a lot of devotionals. I find myself reading a lot of books. But for me personally, nothing is better than just a pencil, piece of paper, and the Bible. I love that. Now, you can get into the commentaries and the studies, etc. But there's something so simple about just the Bible and a pen and a piece of paper saying, Lord, speak to me. What do you want me to say? And if I don't understand something, I write that verse down. I don't get it. And then I'll go back after praying over and saying, okay, Lord, speak to me. What Through this commentary, maybe, or through this study, or somebody else, what do you think of this passage? I tell you, you can never go wrong with studying God's Word. What I want to finish with, up with is I've got a few verses here to show. Tweets, you want to put those up here real quick? <clears throat> These are all out of Psalm 119. All out of Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is the chapter on the Bible, in the Bible. We did a whole study on Psalm 119 a few years ago. If you're interested in that, I'm sure the sound guys can get it for you. I can't remember when we did it for sure. But what I did here is just pick like six verses, six passages out of Psalm 119 that all deal with an issue. If you're dealing with sin, this is how God's Word helps you. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart, I have sought you. Oh, let not me wander from your commandments. When do we sin? When we wander from the commandments of God. Your word I've hidden in my heart that I may not sin against you. Remember that point we said earlier? Do we believe it helps? Do you believe that if you hide God's word in your heart, that will help you against sin? You have a problem with gossip? Read up on gossip. You have a problem with unforgiveness? Read up on forgiveness. Whatever area you're struggling with, find those verses, and that will help you in that area. And if you can't find them, let me know. We'll help you find them. Go to the next one. Okay. You don't know what to do in life? Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. 
God's word gives wisdom and direction. How does it work? I don't know. I tell you, the greatest ideas I've ever had come during devotions. And it's not my ideas. I have to write them down because I'm going to forget them. It's like the Lord says, this is what I want you to do. This is the study. This is the path. That direction comes from being in God's word. The next one. Strength. They're going through a tough time. Unless your law had been my delight, I would then have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. If you're going through a tough time, God's word is that healing oil that gets you through it. That's the strength that happens. Next one. Salvation. Think about this. If you're saved, how did you get saved? Someone shared with you a scripture. Now, there's lots of programs out there on how to lead someone to Christ. But you know what? The best way to lead someone to Christ is to use God's word. It doesn't return void. Salvation is found in the scriptures. Now, you may find yourself paraphrasing scriptures. You may find yourself making scriptural points. Let the spirit lead. I've noticed that when I share with people, though, and I may not say, well, you know that Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Sometimes they say, you know what? The Bible says we've all sinned. And because we've all sinned, we've come short of the glory of God. I'm sharing scripture. I say the Bible says it. That word is a knife. It's a sword. It cuts right to the heart. Next one. Delight. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. When's the last time you thought God's word is a delight? See, when's the last time we said, Lord, I can't wait to get into your word. When's the last time you looked at the clock and said, man, I got to go. I'm going to be late for work, but I want to finish this. Lord, give us that passion for your word there. Next one. Hope. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for I have hoped in your ordinances. I've shared with you before Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28 says, In all things God works for the good of those that love him are called according to his purposes. That's a verse of hope. Lord, you're going to work good in this situation. I don't see it. I don't get it. Or Psalm 40, I've waited patiently for the Lord on high, and he inclined to hear my voice. Lord, that verse gives me hope. And the next one, comfort. This is my comfort in my affliction, for your word has given me life. Next time you're going through something difficult, let the word of God be your comfort. Let that be the one that gets you through it. There's nothing wrong with calling a friend and saying, you pray with me. There's nothing wrong with calling somebody, can I vent to you? Those all have those purposes. But God's word is your comfort that is not going to return void. I can't stress that to you enough. And that's the last one there. I encourage you, as you leave tonight, make an effort, a sincere effort in your heart to say, Lord, this is what I want. I want more of you through your word. If you have kids at home, make a sincere effort to say, let's as a family try to do something. You know, if you're married, try to make a sincere effort to say, okay, honey, let's spend some time together. Privately, as a family, as a couple, you name it. It will bless you. I guarantee you. Peace. Joy, praise, it will come out of it. It is worth it. It does not return void. That is a promise that God has given. It's a little after eight here, so we're a little short on time. Anybody have any final questions, comments here before we go ahead and close up? All right, let's pray. Lord, we pray that we would be individuals in a body that would want your word. Lord, we don't want it for wisdom's sake or knowledge's sake. We don't want it to puff ourselves up. We want it to have a deeper relationship with you because we know that a deeper relationship, wisdom and knowledge will come. Lord, help us to understand it, Lord, through your spirit. Lord, help us to make time to do this, Lord. Help us to realize the blessings that come out of this, Lord. It will not return void. Help us to use your word as a weapon in the fight against the enemy. And, Lord, we love you. We praise you. And, Lord, thank you. Thank you for giving us these 66 books to take us deeper in you. We love you. In your name, amen. Don't forget.